and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, who've been doing this for way too long, talk about all the little things we do to try to make our campaigns as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Yeah. I'm keeping it going. I don't care until I get hate mail. I'm going to keep singing. My and that's intro. not a request for hate mail. I'm going to I'm going to keep singing my intro. Cue, cue the nightmare barge. That's a trip through Dave's game. It gives you an idea. You know, it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, straight through the nightmare riverboat ride. You lose characters to, to eating blueberries they shouldn't and shooting up chocolate fountain pipes. That sounds like an awesome Halloween game or something. Doesn't it? Isn't that painting a great, just painting a picture of the adventure you're going on, which is, which is actually what we're here to talk about today. What exactly is theater of the mind and how does that work? Now, I think most of our listeners know what's meant by theater of the mind. You know, you mean that you're playing a game that doesn't have a hard battle map. What's going on is going to be entirely described by the dungeon master and players without an actual physical representation or digital representation of what you're doing in front of you. Does that sound right to you guys? Is that how you guys would describe theater of the mind? Absolutely. So I still am unsure if it's theater or theater or... Uh, tomato, tomato. See, you know, I'm not sure which is it's supposed to be. But... Oh, it depends what state you're in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with theater, because that's what we've said since I was a kid here. Uh, theater. Theater. The Aider. There you go. There's a superhero name for the superhero character we're working on, The Aider. The, the so, Flater Mask is already taken. He just, he's like the, he's the Japanese guy that eats all the hot dogs. Something like and, that, yeah. And they yeah. were irradiated hot dogs, and now he has an insatiable appetite. He could and, he just got a real, and he just has a real flair for costumes. So, <laughs> today's episode, we're going to talk about how we do theater of the mind, because we do do some theater of the mind between the three of us. In fact, I think at least two of us sort of prefer it that way. And what are the ins and outs of running a theater of the mind game. So why don't we start about just talking about why you do it and what your philosophy is towards it. Now, Tony, you do quite a bit of theater of the mind, don't you? Yes. Why and and how does it work for you? Well, Roll20 was really new to me and with all this new opportunity to do graphical representation. uh, why Why is it important is because I like to set the mood in the games. And the reasoning behind this is that there is a vast difference between having players in your game that are really into their characters and the story and what's going on versus the ones that are just here for the ride. So when you say uh, you brought up Roll20, I mean, Roll20's got battle maps. I don't even think Roll20 is theater of the mind. So is that like how you think of theater of the mind or is that like a different experience for you? I did a lot of stepping out of that in 4E, but Mm. with Roll20, that gives me an opportunity to do things like, okay, so you come into a town and here's the art of the town. Mm -hmm. Um, But that can't be a substitution for description. I feel that, like, for example, we, we did a lot of mini work, and if all the orcs in my universe look like the five orc figurines we have, I have there, then my <laughs> world's a little flat. In, in Roll20, because before Roll20, I don't think I ever remembered you playing with minis. Uh, we did in 4E. True. Uh, you were my had, one 4E. We kind of had to, right? Yeah, oh, you had to. That was really yeah. a minis tactics game. That was unavoidable. Yeah. So, Dave, what about you? For, for Theater of the Mind, how, how do you use it? When do you use it? Uh, I really like it, and I think what the biggest thing for people is, is because I think there's always a a mixture of it. Again, it goes back to not um, this or uh, not either or, but and, um, where uh, I like theater of the mind when 
we are just doing some role play in the town, when you guys are on the road, when you are entering an area, uh, when you're talking with NPCs. If we're getting into battle, though, I have yet to do a complete theater of the mind um, battle. And I will say part of that, I think, is just because of the size of the groups. Mm. I think with theater of the mind, especially for combat, if you're working with, you know, four, maybe five people, that's a lot different than if it's six to eight people. Yeah. For me, so I'm a, I'm in a little bit different boat than either you or Tony. Now, I will say I've played with Tony a lot over the years. The only time Tony uses minis is in four, was in fourth edition and in roll twenty. Other than that, Tony never brings out minis in my games. For the most part, aside from fourth edition, I don't bring out minis. Or uh, in the Woodstock Wanderers game, where the where where the players are very into minis and into mapping, and even then, I'm a little reluctant to do it. The, the yeah, reason, no, we we forced your hand on that yeah. one with Woodstock, I mean, yeah. And we have a really good minis crafter, so sure. But, you know, it, there, you do, I think, pay a price for that in a certain way. And I'll tell you, the reason I prefer Theater of the Mind to a minis-focused D&D experience is that Theater of the Mind takes people's minds out of the out of the map. You know, yeah. once you put a battle map out there and you put minis out there, yeah, it to some extent, in a certain point of view, it becomes, quote, more real, but it becomes too game-focused. Now, all of a sudden, you're playing on a battle map with minis instead of playing this game where we're talking to each other just from our heads. Instead of this yeah. game where we're just thinking about how else could I do things. So when I do theater of the mind, what I te- the way that works is I describe what's going on and the players listen and describe back to me what they're doing. And it's not there's no map on the table. Uh, there's no minis. Uh, I could might throw some representation out there of like, I'm going to pull some graph paper or even some loose leaf paper and map out. Okay, here's where you are and here's where they are and just kind of put down some distance notations. But for the most part, I it basically, it stays in our heads. And what that really does is as long as the players can keep track of where they are, as long as I can communicate where they are effectively, players think more in terms of what is this character doing, not what is my mini doing. So you get more outside of the box solutions. You get more outside of the box thinking where people, once you put the map on the table, in my experience, players really luck into, okay, I'm on a map. I can move like this. I can use this power. I can roll that die, but it becomes very mechanically focused. It becomes really focused on what does the book tell me I can do? Pull the map out of the equation and that becomes more focused on, well, okay, you know, I'm standing in the woods. What can I do? I want to try to run up that tree and, and jump off and hit them. I want to, I want to try to, 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 to try to go find a cave to hide in. Like, They start thinking less about what's in front of them and more about what are the possibilities of what they could do, which leads to a more wide open style of play. And something I really like is when players think beyond their character sheet, you know, because I really do feel like once you put that map out there, players are now locked into character sheet mode. I'm just picking my powers. I'm seeing where I move. I'm rolling my dice and I'm done. Get those things out of there, and now your players think thinking more like, well, you know, they're over there, I'm over here, what can I do? How can I solve this problem creatively? And for me, that's been really, really effective for having games that aren't quite so, well, frankly, aren't quite so minis game-like. So that's why I like Theater of the Mind. That's one of the ways I've used it a lot. I think that while minis are neat and they look cool and the battle map can be neat as well, it has advantages. It has tactical advantages, like mm. where you can really see where everybody is in, in proximity, you know, to everything. That is fantastic. But it only does so much for setting uh, the mood and the tone of your game. Putting up a picture, that's fantastic. But I think a really good, concise description really can do as much or more 
and has in the past to uh, to make the game flow. We've talked about this a lot of times uh, where certainly in a game to make uh, everything really click. And there's really no substitution for a DM providing good imagery. Real quick, though, my thought, though, here, because it, I think we're kind of all like you guys are, have, have played it a lot. Um, Tone, what are your thoughts, though, in terms of like what, what I was saying? I do theater in mind in terms of you're coming into the town, you're talking with the people, you're, you know, you're talking with the, the, the burgomaster, whatever, right? But once combat is happening, if it's any significant combat, if it's not two poisonous snakes drop out on you, you know, and you guys chop, chop or something, right? You do that very quickly. But if you're talking about like a full combat, and if it's more than, let's say, four players in your party, if we're talking what we are generally playing with now, which is six, seven, seven. eight mm-hmm. players, do you find that at that point, that's where theater of the mind combat can begin to break down and where something like a mat and minis and stuff like that can really start to to really give you a sense of what's actually happening? Like we kind of ran into this just in the last Storm Kings game when we were uh, we went into the one town and the map we were using was, in essence, the city map. And then we're having to go, OK, well, what's the actual distance here? Because the nature of the game, we've talked about the the toys that we play with, right? The the toy box are based off things like feet and uh, line of sight and things of that nature. So what are your thoughts on that in terms of like party size and how that might affect the ability for theater of the mind? Well, that absolutely can cause a slog. And just like either really can. I've seen players when they're working off a battle map. And we were using in that particular battle. That was a whole city. There was multiple creature types, different positioning. There was distance. There was cover. There was elevation. A lot was happening there. And in essence, it was nice. Like, like, here's the city. I don't have to describe every street. That was nice. Uh, But I've seen players then act like they're playing championship chess with, like, the (laughs) Russian world champion. And I'm like, are you going to move up and attack? Like, like, what's happening? He's like, hmm. I'm like, you know, you had, like, six players' time to, to make the side, you know, what you were going to do. And it, yeah. it would still be such a holdup. Um, I, I will say, minis combat and map combat is way more of a slog. Way more time to me. At least, at least two to three times more time-consuming than Theater of the Mind. If you want to bang out a, uh, you want to bang out a combat quickly do theater of the mind. Cause all the way that tends to work, the way it works for me when I'm doing theater of the mind combat yeah. is I just keep describing what's going on. So I get to the next player's turn. I'm like, okay, so Jim, you've got Bob over there locked up with an orc. You've got Abe and Granite on t- be behind you guys hurling spells. There's three orc archers who are targeting you and both of them. There's two more orcs running towards you from the other side. What do you do now? I also give, the, I tend to give those in feet as well. And, yeah, we'll get to that, I think, a little bit later. How do you describe this? But it's much easier for me to tell the player what he's looking at than for the player to sit there and study a board and go, hmm. Well, see, that's an interesting point. my bishop. Point. I didn't let go of the bishop. That's an yeah. interesting point you make, yeah. Lord, because I feel like that's, even when I have a map out, right? And we've been doing Tunnel Roll 20, so there's it's map, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Um, but during combat, one of the reasons I, I do it that way so that it's not so it's it becomes less of a slog, hopefully, is that each time the next player is up, I kind of recap. This is where we are. This is what you just saw. This is what's happening. 
to not only keep that energy going and that sense of immersion, but also to create that sense of outside of the, the map itself, right? Like you were saying, I think it's a good point that it kind of pulls you down. It's that battle map psychosis, you know, it's just another version of it, right? Yeah, some of those battles really are and have been arduous where you have players who are like, okay, I don't mean like, okay, we have to be careful of diff difficult terrain. No. Then it's like, can I cut this corner drawn by like the squares and versus the map? Will this guy get an opportunity attack on me? Um, all this stuff. At some points, it's fantastic where I'm dropping my firebomb, like, well, cut and dry. I'm hitting six guys. Boom. Well, that's nice. Then there's all the other crap that's associated with that. And Thorne's right. Then it's like, when I did, the when I did Theory of the Mind, it was super rare, super rare, any opponents would be more than a couple rounds apart from each other. Yeah, yeah. And that's, well, that's the other thing, too, is, you know, there are ways you set up a battle map. We've talked about this, actually. Fifth edition in particular doesn't work well when you have to cover multiple rounds of terrain to get to each other. Like fights that are within yeah. about 60 feet of each other work okay. Or 100 feet even. Someone can like spend one round dashing and the next round they get into the fight. Once you go past about 100 feet from each other, fifth edition combat turns into, well, I, it just gets long. The closing speed is long because you got to wait the whole turn round for people to close with each other. Whereas in theater of the mind combat, and I've even had long distance fights in theater of the mind combat. I mean, I've, I've used theater of the mind combat even up until like army battles and like open warfare. You know, Dave, you mentioned that you describe when you get to the player's turn, you describe yeah. what's happening. The now, which is great. It's a good way to keep. To, you're right. It's a good way to keep the energy to keep things flowing and to set kind of that scene of okay, now what do you do? Mm -hmm. The difference is in theater of the mind, that is what they react to. Once you put the map in play, they're listening to you kind of half because they're looking at the map. All right, what yeah. do I want to do? Who do I want to go after? And a lot of times they're not even listening. I mean, because. That's not the game you put in front of them. We've talked about it. You teach players how to play your game. Yeah. Once you put a map in front of them, you're teaching them it's world championship chess. <laughs> you know, I mean, Cody's saying, yeah, the players act as world championship chess. Well, you know, to some player, it's their character. They're invested in their characters. That's different from the from the player side than the DM side. From the DM side, I got a ton of monsters. Let's just get them in play and go, go, go fight. From the player side, he's got one, or he or she, especially in our games, at one character. They got to make their turn count because they're waiting a long time before they touch anything else. And they don't want to get killed. And they want to do the cool stuff. They want to get their cool things to work. So the player's turn is kind of world championship chess because especially how long it takes to get around the table and that kind of thing. They might they might be saying, okay, I do this one thing. And they might not be able to act again for another five or ten minutes, depending on how the rest of the combat goes. And I think it's very common, actually. We don't want to think about it. I think it's common, especially in kind of some of our Roll20 combats, for there to be ten minutes between a player's turns. I think that happens probably more often than any of us realizes because of the nature of running the game. I yeah. hope that's not the case. I mean, yikes. Well, yeah, no, I, think, I, I think, think about how far many turns you're in, actually. It's not, it's not, it's, it's 10 minutes is obviously exaggeration, but it can feel like that. But it well, definitely, there are times where it will go longer, especially if it's a big battle and you have, you know, if you have a lot of creature types, a lot of uh, initiative counts on those creatures. My, my one, uh, because like I said, I haven't done a ton of, but part of me kind of goes that that falls a little bit more into the uh, into the realm of keeping that level of consistency with your rulings. Because when I can't see it too, like Tony, you've said this before in, in previous episodes, when you're on the map, right, in roll 20, let's say, right? And you can say, well, will I get an opportunity attack? Well, it's right there in front of you. You know, 
I, I don't have as much leeway in terms of my judgment. So it becomes less about me being the, the all knowing and more me being the person who's helping to facilitate this and playing the other side of things, you know, as opposed to, well, I thought I was right there. Well, no, that was, uh, you had to do this and the difficult terrain. It's, you know what I mean? Like the consistency of it, especially if it's larger. But I you, have to tell you, I really like that. <laughs> I really do. Because first of all, like in fourth edition, it was very heavy on opportunity attacks. Mm -hmm. And if we're doing theater of the mind and in five, and five, it's super relevant. And like how uh, Thorne's character is based in my game. Oh yeah. If, if we were in theater of the mind, you'd be like, Oh, I can get him. I'm like, no, he can't. <laughs> I can just see myself saying that. You and your 15 freaking foot-long arms. Well, I'll actually go back to something Dave just said. Because, Dave, you really said it. And this is why yeah. I like Theater of the Mind better. Okay. When you're doing the map, yeah. you can just focus on playing your side. And the players play their characters. And you're not trying to – you're running just your side. You can kind of cut down your playbook. And they're running their side. You don't have to worry about running everything. But that is oh. actually exactly – why theater of the mind works well because when you're in that you, you we talk to Tony just said it becomes a world championship chess match because you are even though you're not trying to kill the characters what you just described is exactly the structure you have the players are playing their characters i'm playing the monsters against them and yeah my monsters are running into buzz souls and they're we're going to get them killed <laughs> but you're also it does it becomes a chess match they're on that side of the table i'm on this side of the table when you're doing theater of the mind, it becomes much more a matter of you remember because you got to remember where everyone is. And uh, the short answer for how do you do that is you keep a little map on your side. I'll have a list of, you know, I'll basically have the initiative in my notes and I'll have the initiative running downwards. I'll have the monster hit points running across. It kind of makes a little I actually publish this. There's actually an article on our website that shows this. I talk about it's called Unclog the Slog Initiative Tracking in D&D. &D, and it shows how I track my initiatives. But that's really how I manage my combat. And I just kind of go down the list and I tell them when it comes to someone's turn, if it's the player's turn, I describe it to that player what they see and just say, tell me what they do when we do their turn. If it's one of my monsters, I describe where the, I just describe what those monsters are doing. I roll their attacks and I move on. And dot, 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 dot. So there's no longer the map management. There's no longer the, well, this could happen and that could happen. And if I need to know where things are that I'm not remembering so well, I will make little notes in that graphic. It might be a matter of, okay, these two guys are on the paladin. I put a little P above those two monsters hit points. So I know when I look at them, oh yeah, they're at the Paladin. I might do a little battle map below the hit points where I can see, okay, party here, stream here, house here. So I can kind of just tell people where they are. I'll describe distances usually in units of whole movement. So that's one of the cheats you can do with it is, you know, you need to have in your head, okay, the players are moving 30 feet. So 30 feet is the distance in which someone can reach someone and still attack. 60 feet is the distance in which they can close in one round. 90 feet is where they're basically two rounds to attack. And beyond 90 feet for the purposes of this round is missile range. So you can just, you just, you know, you use your shorthands. Okay, they're 30 feet from you. They're 60 feet from you. They're 15 feet from you, which means they're close to you. They're on you means they're fighting you. And if they leave you, you get an opportunity attack. Like, that's the way it kind of works for me when I do theater of the mind. And, and Dave, you did some theater of the mind battles in the early days of the Woodstock Wanderers. You know, it just goes quicker. Yeah. Yeah. We did a, uh, uh, yeah. A couple like the, the boar and, uh, and so, and some of the goblins and stuff. Yeah. 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 Like we were saying, like we definitely, we definitely forced your hand a little bit on the, on the mini side of things. Uh, <laughs> and that's because, a because Scott's a, uh, you know, he's, he's yeah. excellent at, but even with that, we were, I mean, that's when we were using the vegetable tray and the cheese tray as, the villains you know <laughs> and then you would eat the villain when you killed it um 
Well, there, there is, and there is a time to kind of pull back and kind of, it, when you're doing theater of the mind, there is a time for you to set up the battlefield and say, okay, so, so this is what this looks like. So you guys can all see what's going on here. And that's part of no under, that's part of knowing how to do the style. Well, which is okay. One does the party, one will the party benefit from seeing a map. Oftentimes you want the party to see a map when they're coming into something and making complex tactical decisions. Uh, I don't know. I, I think Theater of the Mind, though, I've found it traditional. Like, I've played with it a lot. Tony, the uh, game you DM'd for us in second edition not that long ago was Theater of the Mind. 100%. And I just, I, I find combat moves a lot faster with more more mental investment in what's going on in the game, in like kind of the story side of the game and, and, and the more abstract side of the game. Whereas once you put a battle map out there, things get very tactical. It's, it's almost like a final fantasy when you go from open world play to, to turn-based combat play, you know, it's like you're, it's like you're slipping into another game than what you're doing in your role play side of things. Hmm. I don't disagree with that. Um, I don't either, but I don't, I also don't think that that's necessarily, I, I think I like, I like that. I like that you have this whole separate thing within the game. Right. I mean, cause that's, that's what the game came from. So, you know, traditionally speaking, that is what it is. Um, yeah, that gets overplayed. I mean, it's true that if you go back to the very beginning of the game, that's where it came from. A lot of people through second through through second edition, especially, which was a very long running version, didn't play oh, yeah, with it. No, no doubt. But, uh, you know, you're talking 10, 10, 15 years into the game at that point when you're talking second. So. Uh, I think a lot of first edition was played without minis. I, my, my experience with D&D... Uh, you're talking in high school when we we're playing uh, when I was playing second edition and Tony's group was playing the uh, what they used to call 1.5 edition. Uh, when I went to college and played with different people with different DMs, all those people played without minis. Mm. We all played people sitting around, not even necessarily with a table in front of you. You know, the DM would eat a table for his stuff. Everyone else would be lounging on couches and stuff. And we just basically tell it campfire style. Yeah. So to, to be fair, the minis back in the day were those like metal, painted, you know, you had to have talent to paint those. Yeah, Scott actually, our minis guy in the other yeah. game, he brought in uh, his original minis that he had put together, uh, and they were the old lead pewter ones, and they were yeah. they were awesome. But yeah, the level to which they were. <laughs> right? They were super expensive. You had to do a lot of work to get minis and, and to get maps. And that was part of why. So when you say like the early days of D&D where this minis focus is coming from that, only the prehistoric days when it was basically a game that was popular among people who already had minis. Yeah. Throughout the 80s and most of the 90s, I would say it was not really. We don't get today's mini focus game until you have. At the end of third edition, beginning of fourth edition, where WizKids is or when TS when Watsi starts putting out the D and D minis, once Watsi released the D and D minis, minis got popular again because they were easier to get. Before then, they were a pain and they were expensive, and you had to they were their own separate craft you had to do. So I would say, in my experience, I never played a game with minis until we got the fourth edition. Not consistently. I had some games where we broke out some minis, put them on a map, and did some character placement. That did happen, yeah. but I, I would agree, yeah. not with any true consistency. And and even then, like even no matter how theater of the theater of the mind your game gets, there are times when it is beneficial to sit down and set up a, something for the characters to see, like to to set up a map or something. Uh, that definitely happened, even in my most theater of the mind games. There does come a time where you're like, look, guys, you're looking at this, and you put some checks on it. You you always want to have some graph paper around. Yeah. You know, so you say, here, here's the here's the map. I actually did draw this out. Now, it's not really a battle map. Like, it's not like a minis map. But show me, I just put a little 
put a little check where your guy is so, so we can see what we're talking about. You know, you kind of have to know when it's time to show a more formal representation, but still getting that kind of play is more, it's more mentally focused and less, phys- and less physical minis focus. And I think that does lead to a more, I think it leads to a more role play conscious kind of game. I think it leads to a game where the characters think a little more what their, what their, what their characters want to do rather than just, okay, I just got to make, you know, rather than just taking my chess moves. Um, I think there's benefits to that. Well, I think we should look at the, uh, the pitfalls of the system since we all kind of agree that we like it at least, you know, perhaps some of us more than others. No, that's but. not entirely true. I mean, so, so, I mean, Dave's saying, I mean, Dave, you've mostly DM'd. I mean, you're really, you, you are the map, the, the minis guy here at this point, I think. I like battle maps. Mm. Absolutely. I enjoy the whole, the whole act of it. I enjoy playing with little toys. <laughs> I enjoy the, the fantastical element of it. I think that it's a, I, I think that when I think of D&D, one of the things I think of is, I mean, the, the, the classic uh, thing that comes to mind is the DM screen and a, a battle map, usually made out of some shit-ass craft paper, and some sort of minis or some Skittles or Starburst or whatever the hell it's on there, right? And and people tell, sitting around telling a story. I like that portion of it. But like I was saying... That's just for the combat for me. Like, I don't, I'm not, you know, uh, the, there's a big swaths of the game that is nothing but in your imagination, you know, so, especially in my game, because there's so much interplay with things like NPCs, like we've talked about, you know, that's all happening in our heads. Well, it is, but I also think that happens when we talk about theater of the mind. I think we are talking about the kind of game we're talking specifically, I think, about the game where the combat, combat happens in the mind. Yeah. Because you're right. In every, I mean, it's not even the most map focused game, even the most battle map focused game is doing theater of the mind for everything else. You don't talk to an NPC through minis. We don't have minis that are that advanced yet. They're not little robots who walk right. out there. Right. The, so probably soon, 10 years, probably. But like that's. <laughs> You'll just be in your hologram room. <laughs> I, so the theater, theater of the mind always matters, but I think what you're talking about when you say theater of the mind game, oh, I think you're talking about the game that doesn't use minis, that only uses the description yeah, together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I have, I have not uh, uh, in in this uh, in this iteration of my D and D career, I have not done that. Yeah, I, I'm always playing with some level of of physical representation when we're talking about combat. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we're kind of a little bit on both sides of it. I mean, Tony, is that, is that what you think of when you think theater of the mind, you think of a game without basically not usually using minis? Yes. I I do feel that this is really heavily focused on, if you're doing towards the theater of the mind, that is uh, more descriptive imagery focused and you can run into problems there. I mean, I prefer it. I've, for example, if I describe a room, whether it's on the map or not, and I spend three minutes describing this room, then maybe you, maybe my players are more inclined to believe that there's a secret passage in this room or they should search it <laughs> or, or something like that. Um, on the flip side, I may spend an equal amount of time describing the person in the bar who's you dinner. And then they're like, well, what's up with this guy? Hmm. And they start peppering him with questions. So how long you been here, Jack? Hmm. That, if that is indeed really your name. Right. <laughs> His name's Coat, but he's really Kavoth. I mean, and that's that's true. And it's one of the things that has to work well for Theater of the Mind to work at all is your players have to pay attention to your descriptions. I think it goes hand in hand. I think there's, that's a two-way street, though. 
if all they have to listen to is your descriptions and you're not putting a battle map out there, they pay more attention to your descriptions. If you once you put the map out, players are paying less attention to your description because they're looking, their attention moves to the map. So I think that's, you know, this kind of goes hand in hand. If you're going to do theater of the mind, you need to be able to describe things well. You need to have a good handle on what part of the description people are listening to and know that they're paying more attention and they're looking for their clues as far as what to do in your description more than they are in the map. All of which I think are positives. I mean, these, these, this is how I want it to be. <laughs> I found that you can actually, some of these interactions can also get slogged where something not important gets really overly described. And I want to feel like I'm in a town as a player, but I don't want to hear about every board that makes it the end and every blade of grass in front of it. You don't want to hear Tolkien describe every every tree branch? Professor Tolkien was a genius. I've said this before. And he went way squirrel shit nutty with some of his descriptions. Took it way, way too far. And this is an interactive game. Like My voice isn't that good. Nobody wants to hear me monologue, you know, <laughs> every time you enter a new room. They're like, it's like, it's like playing an old game that's taking too time, too long to load. <laughs> I don't know. We, we, we have listeners tuning in every week to hear Tony's voice. So I think I think your voice is good for description. God help us. Even though they did think that you were uh, we were all out of uh, one of the five boroughs. So I don't know what is coming one through, but uh, yeah. <laughs> they haven't heard my Hulk Hogan voice, at least for a whole gaming session. Well, we're, we're not exactly out of the five boroughs. We're kind of out of the five cheesesteaks down here, suburbs of Philadelphia. Yeah. So, I mean, and that is, you know, when you're doing theater of the mind, your description as a DM becomes more important. Uh, and I think that's something you kind of have to be able to do well. And you have to be able, you kind of have to have, in mind what's important and what's not that I want to describe. And I will say theater of the mind will put you on the spot. If you've gotten into the bad habit of going, okay, you guys are in the town. What do you want to do? Well, what town, what is there to do? Like, you know, if you put the map, if you can kind of just show them a map of the town, you tend to slip into describing, okay, well, you're in the town. There's the town map. What do you guys want to do? Where do you want to go? There's a, this over here, that over there. Theater of the mind, when their understanding of the town is based on what you're telling them, now you really think through, you think it through a little more. You have to because you're talking about it because that's actively you're the only thing they know about the town. So you think more about, well, what are they noticing and what's it like to be there? And it gets more like I really think theater of the mind is a more immersive type of D&D than a map focused D than a map and minis focused D&D. Because I think the map and minis, while you they draw attention, I think they draw attention to that. This is a game we're playing and they draw pull attention away from the construct in kind of that well theater of the mind that the, that's working in the game possibly but that with that said too i think even when i have you know i i said it in a, in a different way earlier but even when there's a map out there's still tons of descriptions that are happening and if the person wants to be focused on the map that's cool but that doesn't necessarily mean that someone else isn't also immersed i think that's a very subjective thing well uh that's just, Tell me, how often does this happen? How often have you been describing a town and you're halfway through the description of what you want to say and someone points at a feature on the map and says, hey, what's that thing? Uh, well, I don't usually have – I like, usually want to have a, a, the town out. Like, I, like that's what I was saying. Like usually I'm not putting the map out unless unless there's a time – like there was the point in Slaver's Bay where you guys were in Thrace and I mm -hmm. put the map out because – like I had the map myself for several sessions – yeah. And I would describe which way you were going. But then when you guys wanted to try to kind of sneak out 
and get to the, the, the forest, well, now I throw the map out because now it becomes much more tactically based, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so at that point, yeah, it was, hey, what? well, what's that? Who's that person there? But they need to have that, like you were saying, because once you put the map out, like I've said this before, the battle map psychosis, when you put it out, they're about to start thinking tactically. That's just what's going to happen. I don't have a problem with that. I just learned that that's, you know, understand when to throw the map out. You know, Roll20 <laughs> changes that a little bit because the map is is part of the the interaction in a in a digital medium like that. But uh, yeah, at the table. Yeah, it's, you know, but yeah, I mean, they, they're probably going to say, hey, what's that? OK, and then let's talk about what that is. That's funny that you say that. I think sometimes that works really amazing. When I first did Roll20, I, w I was kind of blown away. It's like, wow, I can go into every room and every nook and every cranny. But I could just also see, and you do a good job as a DM, Dave, uh, kind of guiding the party. We could easily, easily spend 20 minutes dicking around, like looking at <laughs> the desk drawer, <laughs> shaking the, the dresser, like, what do you think's in here? Oh, let's go in this cupboard. How about <laughs> this shelf? Is that a extra shelf I see up there? It's, and he's like, oh, there's nothing in here. And you're now you're tempted, like, do I want to throw something to put in here to make this interesting? Now that they've invested half an hour in this encounter, that doesn't exist? That's that's the thing. It's once you put the map out there, and I think like I think what Tony's referring to is particularly the death house. The death house was that way. Yeah. Well, that was kind of the point of it too, though, right? Was to create some of that. Well, what the fuck's in this room? Oh, nothing's. Oh, but something's in this this other room, you know. But it was to create that sense of foreboding. But yeah, I mean, I absolutely realized that. And like I said, I had followed the advice of some people I saw online that had run Strahd before, and they said. Throw some stuff out there first. Like, you know, so I threw a couple like combat things like the sword came flying off the wall yeah. and stuff so that there was something happening beyond just investigation. But the whole point of that was to kind of set that foreboding nature of a haunted house kind of thing, you know. Uh, but but also, yeah, that is the death house most definitely. But e even after that, I, I feel like when we're like in a map of a house, I think people go, okay, what's in that dresser? Okay, what's in that closet? Okay, what's at this foot oh, sure. Because that's kind of what you would be doing if you're in that room, though. Well, if it's what the, if it's what you want the game to be, but in a theater of the mind style of game, you're going to tell them, you're going to skip more to, okay, you got to search the room, it's got this and that, and here's what you get out of it. Part of the advantage of that now we did we have talked about how this is if you you are setting the tone do you want them to search manually every nook and cranny and right. have to tell you what to do right. or are you going to want them to speed to speed along theater of the mind lends itself more to you you're describing the atmosphere of the house and the encounter and then the what happens after and okay what are you guys doing but all that stuff also helps you speed along because you know you've seen in my games in roll 20 since we've moved to roll 20 we're getting a lot fewer combats done even when we're on, on the minis map in the uh, in Woodstock Wanderers in person, we're getting fewer encounters done than if we were when then when we were just doing theater of the mind, like because it, it people people got to look they consider they're making those they're making a different kind of tactical choice based just on kind of like the spaces on the board, rather than making the the, the choices from a point of view of more of okay so what could I do here, you know just they get out you know, when you put the map out there players get out of their imagination and they get into analyzing the map. And I do prefer a game where players play more of it in their imagination and, and, and thinking about what can I do in this situation. They're different kinds of games, I think. And I like Theater of the Mind. I actually think it, I think it, I think it does more to elevate D&D &D above a minis game or a video game. You know, whereas I think once you get the minis out there, I think it's 
that part of D&D becomes very, very much like other games. Whereas when you're playing Theater of the Mind, I think you're really accessing that other level D&D can give you. Of, no, I can do anything. Or, okay, what do I want to do? Now i got to think about it. And it gets players to get in that space more, I think. i got to tell you that from someone who has played Theater of the Mind for the very vast majority of my career, mm. there really are some distinct advantages of using the map and the visual aids. There, there, I mean, like, for example, if the players assemble that magic sword or they've been trying for six games, well, that deserves a hearty, well-put-together description. Absolutely. That sword doesn't get pictured. Okay, and there's the magic sword. Golf clap. All right, now the barbarian has it. Move on. Okay, that's a little anticlimactic. But you know what? If I'm level seven and I'm in, like, say, I don't know, the kingdom of Muscovy, I should know what the king looks like. I should be able to describe him. I've met him four times. <laughs> but on the flip side of this now, we talked about players um, only retaining so much information. I feel that having the map and the both tactical and images kind of splits that up. If I'm describing something all the time, things have got to be getting lost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes things do get lost, but as we've seen, they get lost in minis focus games, too. Now, at the same time, so, Tony, like, you've talked about how you are now up to spending about 10 hours a session prepping for Storm King's Thunder. I have problems. I don't <laughs> think that was a problem before you were in Roll20 with a map and minis. And because you've told me before, like, you're spending your time looking for maps, looking for visual aids. Now... Your entire career, I have played more games with you as a DM than anyone other DM, than under any other DM. I don't think I ever remember you having that kind of, you know, preparation. Yeah, that kind of preparation going into games. You're like, yeah, all right, we're gonna game. Get your stuff. Let's go. I've had some prep, but you know, it's mostly off the top of your head. I shouldn't say mostly off the top of your head, but I feel like your preparation is taking you five times longer now that you're in a more this this easier, more visual medium. Well, yeah, and I'll tell you why. For example, what if, like, in the last game you're in, without boring uh, the, the audience with all the things that I have changed from the actual core storyline of Storm King Southern that's so off the uh, rails, there's really no spoilers left to spoil. But there were several different ways you could have proceeded. And uh, some of the stuff I had prepped, you didn't do. So I had to make sure that there was content that was there with smooth transitions for example, if you guys, like, if something was on the table, like, you, if you said, for example, like, let's return to the hill giant lair and, you know, deal with some of the uh, the remnants of those forces. Well, okay, I could pull up that old map. But if you're like, okay, I did hear a rumor about that dragon to the south. Let's go deal with that. Well, do I have a dragon token? Do I have a map? Do I have a lair? I want to drop the dragon in. Like, it's time to start pulling this out of my ass. Am I just taking a dragon image off of Google, throwing it on the, <laughs> the whiteboard, and on your fight in this fucker? Have fun, guys. He can hit you. You can hit him. Go. <laughs> You know what's ironic is I'm the one here saying how much more how much more flexible theater of the mind is. My roll twenty game, I know exactly where to find the dragon. I have several dragon layers loaded into the maps. So I know how to get them. I can pop you guys in. I'm never more than three minutes from a dragon encounter. That's all I'm saying. I am never more than three minutes from any color dragon encounter we gotta have. I didn't know there were so many dragons in the in the world of the game. Oh, there's always dragons all over the world. Yeah, there's so many. How, how many dragons are in the world? How many dead PCs do you need? 
<laughs> That's the one thing missing from the from the realm of Barovia. There's no dragon. It makes sense, you know. I mean, it would kind I of. There's room for trauma. a deep dragon. I think there's room for a deep dragon somewhere in Barovia. You got this underground. Boom, purple dragon. Right. Coming down. <laughs> and also, some of these art, some of these art, the use of art is a nice touch. Like for example, yeah. even if you're doing like skill challenges and you're transitioning from position to position, like you guys, I suspect will be doing the race next game. We'll see if you do. But if you do, then it's in three parts, and each of these three different parts have a different graphic. That's so a, I say we just scud missile of ship. Let's just cut to the chase here. You could. The you demigod giant ship with the four-way <laughs> dragons piloting. Yeah, I mean, come on, seriously. Get him. Jang is strategically thinking, okay, we're gonna we're gonna get behind him so we're on his six. And then then we attack. Yeah, then the little folk will take on Thagrim, the fucking son of the fucking Therm, the frost giant god. The little yeah. folk kicking giants' ass is exactly what this whole game has been about. Hey, that's what we're <laughs> learning to do, but we're still fighting actual mortal giants. This no, one is you call a... yourself little folk. Jang's like nine feet tall now. <laughs> and you're still little folk. It don't matter, right? They're still <laughs> To be fair, after that battle you guys had on that frost giant longship, you deserve the giant war veteran achievement. Like, you should have all got that badge. That was beast-like, yeah. That was some serious shit. I think just about well. everybody was about a hit or two from buying the farm. Well, Nobody we, died, but it was close. Had we not gone... So this is Storm King Slender. It's the, it's the frost going after the frost giant king. And had we not gone to the Frost Giant Temple and met the Undying One, I think we would have been screwed. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were not wading our way through up. that many Frost Giants. We yeah, were, because how not are we getting happen. on that ship? And then all the way to the other side, right? And I will just say, I'm just going to throw it out there. My wall of fire was very, very helpful. That's all it I'm going to say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was actually a, an enormous tactical advantage. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're Which only next. really helped because I could see the map and I could count how many squares that my my sixty foot wall. No, 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 that's actually, no. I'm gonna stop right there. That's not true at all. That's that's not true at all. That would be because that would work the same way in theater of the mind. I would just say. No, you can. I know. I was making yeah. this joke. But I mean, but that's what we're talking about here, right? That. I mean. You can do that in Theater of the Mind. In fact, in Theater, theater of the Mind, you probably just go, okay, yeah, it just covers a... I, I'm going to cast my flaming wall between us and the rest of the ship, and there it goes. I think it probably would be even easier then, because you're not sitting there and spending the time counting, okay, do I have enough squares to get this done? Because the DM's already going to have the ship, the, the exact ship number there, and you just tell them along your wall is, and it says, yeah, it goes in the right spot. Yeah, yeah you, you cut all that kind of... That little fiddly time of, do I have exactly enough squares to do what I want to do? You don't have to worry about that with Theater of the Mind. So that battle, would that have been better if that was strictly in Theater of the Mind? I don't think it would have been any worse. I mean, if if anything, I mean, I think you would have been able to describe it in more epic terms than just the tokens on the map, in my opinion. I mean, because you did, you mean, described it well. I wouldn't say you described it poorly in any of the, Actually, no, I'll point this out. And this isn't, this isn't the criticism, Tony, but I remember once like the second portion of that encounter started where the ice monster popped out and we took an attack in front of him that was some kind of cold attack that hit a bunch of us i noticed that you did slip into just okay he just does this and it hits you guys and you take the save or take this damage and i and i kind of took that as a sign of okay we're getting late in the in in, in the session you know the dm's getting a little tired we're all getting a little tired i think we're seven hours in at that point oh, but God, that actually yeah. when we talk about this theater of the does, does the battle map take that descriptive aspect out of it I have found myself doing that too. 
And when it's theater of the mind and I go to launch an attack, it does like it doesn't happen that way because I have to tell them what I'm doing. Well, when you're on the map, you just kind of go to, okay, and there's this guy, and then he rolls these dice, and you guys save, okay, you save to take damage. Like, it's just, on the map, it turns into that. In Theater of the Mind, it's, all right, he turns to you, and he unleashes a huge blast of cold from the, his icy maw, and you are chilled to the bone, saving throws, you, you, and you. You know, I, I do think that, I do notice those little descriptions from all of us in Roll20 getting dropped. And I'll tell you, when you see it from me, it's a sign that I'm getting tired, tired in the game. We've been going on for a bit. Well, that, def that that for me, I know exactly what you're talking about. That happens a lot more when it's uh, those epic battles that you're two hours in on the battle, you know. And then at some point, like, there's only so many goddamn descriptors, right? Whether <laughs> theater of mind or maps, two hours into a to a epic fight, you're gonna start to run a little bit, you know. All right, let's 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 do this. Well, that aside from Theater of the Mind, Theater of the Mind should look like we're over at Dave's house, which we've decided that's the place to game. And, Good spot. You know, well, Bonnie's house, really. Dave and Bonnie's house. <laughs> we're going to build the dungeon one of these days. We will and, Right? We'll, we'll start a Patreon to build the dungeon. And um, if we're doing Theater of the Mind, guess what? I'd get up and stretch. Like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. I get up, I'm at work. And they're like, oh, man, you doing some heavy lifting? Uh, something <laughs> like, no. No, I wasn't. I was in a chair for seven hours. I got up, I peed, I made coffee, I sat my ass right back down. Three hours later, peed, got coffee, sat right back down. I, I will say that that uh, that absolutely is a thing that I can't do on Roll20. Thorin knows. Uh, so I like when I'm running combat, I like to stand. I like to stand sometimes actually when I'm just a player in combat too. But I definitely like to stand when I'm running combat because then it's I can just kind of it's a bit more, you're a bit more animated and you're kind of a focal point, I think, for them. And that can sometimes help too with the descriptors. That's it. That is, and, and, and I've, been, I've been saying a lot of things about what I like about Theater of the Mind. I think maybe that's one thing I haven't hit the right way. When you're doing Theater of the Mind, is it, once you put a battle map on the table, all the players are focused on the battle map. They're hopefully listening to you. Although I will tell you, if you take a look at psychologically how people process input from two different senses at once, it is not a positive thing. <laughs> you generally now images do help people retain information when they're related to what you're saying but if you really want them to listen you know you want your images to be you don't want them analyzing your image while you're talking you want them processing one set of input at a time so you want your image to back up what you're saying and if you're talking about a battle map well if you're describing the altar and they're looking at the corner they want to hide in working against itself psychologically yeah yeah uh, the difference though is when you do theater of the mind not only do you not have the map out there distracting them all eyes are on you so when you're doing theater of the mind, you now we talk about I'm not a big performance DM. I'm used to DMing in such a way, and I prefer to DM in such a way where what I'm saying is what they should be paying attention to, not what's off in some book, not what's on the map. What I'm saying is what matters here because I'm describing the world. Then what you tell me is what matters to me because you're telling me how you interact with that world. Mm. I'm processing and telling it back to you. You're in uh, interacting with each, each other individually. And Tony, I know how much it drives you crazy when people aren't giving you their full attention when you DM. I mean, I've seen that in person plenty of times. Theater of the mind if everyone's engaged and it's working, it's people retain much more what you say and they're paying attention more. It's not just that they're listening to what you say, but it is like the, okay, you stand up, you slam your hand on the table, you bellow every now and then, you make the noises, you, you do the things that make the combat feel epic and they're paying attention. Whereas I've actually, I've literally, there are players I can think of who, once they have a battle map and minis to look at, are like, yeah, 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 just finish your description so I can do the slash slash thing. You know, in theater of the mind, if they're not paying attention to that description, they're going to screw up the slash 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 thing and they know it. You know, so that's that's the difference. It's 
where is the attention? Is the attention between us? I don't want to make it sound like it's just the DMs, the, like just the DM, because I don't consider it the DMs of performance, but the attention's on the conversation and the improv we're doing together. It's on that interaction. Whereas once you put that map on the table, I do feel like that attention, player's attention goes to the map. And I'm, I'm even guilty of it. I mean, I'm listening, but I'm also like, especially when other players turns around, I'm just looking at the map like, all right, I'm going to, I got to do this and I got to go over there. And can I catch him in this? I'm counting things change. I got to recount things. Like it just becomes much more mathematical with the map out there. Whereas theater of the mind, it is much more creative. It is just creative. It's not so mathematical other than adding up your dice rolls. I'll throw a few things to that. Um, as far as player attention goes, I'm not the DM that they put the weights basket on the table and goes, every cell phone goes in here. <laughs> I don't, it, although I've wanted to, although when I'm describing something, the players need to freaking hear, or they're going to be fucked two games later. Maybe they shouldn't be talking about a playlist for four and a half minutes. That is a side topic. With that said, I am a performance DM, not in the respect where I do voices like Dave does or break into a song, but actually I had one player, um, Scott's daughter actually broke into an entire song montage <laughs> during a Christmas game. It, it, it was quite impressive, actually. I'm never going to do that. We unless actually, we're an alter- That was Amber. No, we have, we in Scott, the, the who just yeah. came back, Scott, formerly has been the wizard who ran away and frankly probably is now a vampire. We'll see how it winds up. Uh, he came back as an elven bard and he has had a song at the beginning of every of every game to chant to the party. He doesn't consider himself much of a singer, but he ch- he he chants the song to the party before every game. Yeah, it's, it's the great. recap. It's he recaps the previous game. That, that's <laughs> pretty <song>. cool. <laughs> but I do consider myself a performance DM because I am used to running through the theater of the mind classically, and I have used to being in a tough room where guess what? You need to deliver your lines cleanly and with confidence or the assholes who are looking at you are going to start making jokes. And now it's going to reel them all back in. It's like, all right, guys. Yeah, I misspoke that. I know you have nothing good to add to the story, but let's, let's reel it back in so we can get to the, you know, the slashy slash. So I feel that, uh, yeah, to, to a point, I am a little less on with this and eh, I don't mind it so much. I agree I am less on with it when we're using the battle map, especially in Roll20. And I do mind it because I do think it works better when it's the description. It also forces me to think things through more. I'm not counting on a little on, on a quick drawing to kind of carry my description and carry my carry the weight of what's going on. I know I've got to deliver it in the way I deliver what I'm saying. Now, I don't have lines and I don't worry if I stumble over something. I can just shout someone down if I need to. But at the same time, you know, it's. I just, yeah, I like it up in that headspace where we're talking to each other and all paying attention to each other off the map. And then once you put the map down, it's, yeah, it's, it's like half a board game then. Mm-hmm. Thorne just throws the dragon up on, on the white screen or the green screen. And he's like, you want this? This is what you guys want? Here it is. <laughs> he's just doing, destroying that village. Go ahead. Not yeah, well, keep you alive. What kind of party doesn't want that? Uh... Are you, re- are you really heroes until you've killed a dragon? Or a tamed one. I'll, I'll accept taming one. Uh, that's a whole debate. Whole debate right there. Dave, do you have anything else you want to add to that? Uh, not on that. Not on that side. Not on that side. Again, uh, some of this is is gonna. I I can't offer too much because I haven't actually seen you guys run a completely theater of the mind game. You know, and I like I've said I haven't myself in this way. So I'm interested to see what that looks like now that I've seen a 
great deal of both of your uh, both of your styles and your ways of kind of running a table. You know, I would be interested. I'm interested to to try it out myself, but I would want to kind of play in it first to get a sense of uh, of what it looks like and what I would like and what I would you know what I would take what I wouldn't. Mm. So I guess, you know, we've talked about pros and cons and, you know, you take it or leave it. I will throw out there that maybe just maybe D&D would rather you play with the minis and the maps because they're selling you <laughs> minis and maps. Throwing it out there. Just mentioned. I, I have, have a mini. few minis. I don't, I don't, I really don't want bringing uh, dun, um, dungeon tiles to come in uh, or dwarven boards to come and like <laughs> burn our house down or anything. <laughs> You know, they're putting if some serious... Uh, if Dwarven Forge would like to send us tiles to change our minds, we would absolutely accept that. <laughs> Go ahead, please. If you'd like to send us something, if you'd like to send Thorin something, contact 3wisedms at gmail.com. You can maybe change my mind by, by showing me the awesomest tiles. But actually, I mean, Scott, in the one game, he does make paper terrain. Um, yeah. His, yeah. His, his company's paper terrain, and he makes he makes these, these paper terrains you can form into houses. They're mostly historical minis terrain. He's got a few things that work for, for D&D, though. So, you know, that's the, those are the pros and cons. And, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of it. You know, there's, there's good reason for it. If you if you don't like people putting a focus on you, putting the map out there is you know that that is another advantage of it. You know you get a little bit of a shield as the DM where you can focus more on okay everyone get everyone to pay attention to the map and then maybe you don't feel like they're all focusing on you. However, I would say from my point of view at least the the benefit of D and D is learning to, to to learning to manage the room and keep them keep their eyes on you. But if you're going to do this, so like what are some tips for doing theater of the mind well? And I know. As the uh, as the guy who's really kind of beating the drum for it, I guess I'll throw out there, just reiterate some of the things I've said there. Spacing is the hardest thing to get right with theater of the mind. What I do is, like I said, I try to be very conscious of where people are. If you go to Dungeon Craft, which is a which is a popular YouTube series with Professor Dungeon Master. Professor Dungeon Master. Yeah. Damn. He's actually got a whole method of doing. He uses minis, but he has an ultimate dungeon table where basically it's a kind of a conceptual, it's kind of basically it's a lazy Susan purpose for D&D, for D&D battle mapping. You throw some minis and some terrain on there, but he basically cuts it down to, you have melee range and then like, and then like two distances for distance range for distance combat. So instead of measuring specific feet, he measures zone you're in. Mm. And like, so, so you just glance at the map and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, there are two zones away. I got to shoot them. I can't run to them. I do something similar when I'm doing theater of the mind, but I do base it in the movement in the system. So like I said, if, if we're talking 30 foot movement and I know the players have 25, 30 foot movement, I will mentally mark off where people are in units of that movement. So you're not talking about this guy's 55 feet away. That guy's 85 feet away. Get out the calculator. Can you get to him? You want to shorten all that up. You want to make the movement the movement units kind of handy so that it's easy easier for your players to process, okay, I can get there this turn and hit him, or I need to get there next turn and hit him, or maybe I just got to hold back and range with this dude. But you want to you want to throw the you want to basically turn your units into the one movement, whatever one movement is for those players. So you can make it easier for them to understand, okay, that guy's one move away, two moves away, three moves away. You get into like 10 and 15 feet when you start talking about close distance and ranges. But you don't make you try not to make it hard on yourself. Make make the make the distances round numbers that are that that, that break down into full moves. So that's that's one of my tips for doing theater of the mind well. Tony, I mean you've done this some before. You have any tips? I think that it would be impossible for me to tell you exactly how large or concise your descriptions need to be. However, 
Some people like a very detailed description, and that have been told in the past, like my battle descriptions, they've really loved and that critical hit. Like that felt like that was really uh, spot on. But at the same time, not everybody wants to be in a history class. Mm-hmm. And you've got to know the flow so the, the story doesn't hit a snag. Um, at the same time, um, don't be afraid to let players in the theater of the mind Try to do things that are outside of uh, what you had planned. It's kind of like instead of looking at that as something to deal with, look at it as something like they're adding to the story. Yes. Like they're going to go and they check this out. Okay, maybe, you know, they'll help you kind of build the story together as um, it's unraveling. Like they're like, oh, maybe um, there's a clue for this over there. And you're like, hmm, maybe that is a good place to drop a clue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm spoiling all my secrets. I want to look in this cupboard. Is there anything in this cupboard? Why, yes, there is. That's so much a better place than where I put it. Oh, my God. The that Queen's other locket is- that you've been looking for. I'm going to break it here and share an anecdote. Because actually, so I try to describe the hits from both sides in combat. Tony's right. No one wants a history lesson. And, and you'll figure out pretty quickly if you're going into too much detail. But... I do feel like if you're doing theater of the mind, it really helps to describe, to actually describe the interaction of the combat. Okay, you knock his shield out of the way and you're able to crack him in his skull for 18 points of damage, however you want to do it. I didn't do that to begin with. And then, okay, so I played with Tony as a DM in a long, in a, in a pretty cool long game. I'm running my own game. Tony winds up joining that game about, I don't know, third or fourth level. And then one night we've been playing for a while and like we're just hanging out. It's like Tony wants to DM. It's a, we want to just do a game off the cuff and co- Tony agrees to DM. And Tony's DMing my the, the players I play I've been I've been DMing and he starts describing combat in like a kind of he's doing a gladiatorial kind of thing, and he's describing the hits and misses in a way I hadn't been. I remember specifically it was like he's like 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 okay the the player character rolls their attacks and the NPC and then character admits and then the NPC rolls the attacks and the NPC hits and Tony describes this okay so you took a swing here and he went into sort of a crane style technique where he hit you in the elbow and deflected your blow and then came across and palm and hit you with a palm here on the nose for six points of damage or something like that and i mean my draw went fuck like <laughs> like god damn it that is a better way to describe this stuff and that's actually part of one how tony did help kind of shape my dming style and two what i started to realize like this is something if you're playing the game in a way that i think minis leads to which is you hit you miss you hit you miss you lose this stuff. Whereas if you're describing a combat fleet free form and actually talk guys doing in the center of the ring, you can pretty quickly do some stuff that leaves an impression and makes it a lot cooler. And I know I personally find that harder to do with a, with, with a map and minis. Cause even I will slip into, okay, you hit, you miss save damage, move on. You know, it's, it's, I think you know, embellishing your descriptions and having an idea of what they're doing in combat really does help in theater of the mind. So, no, I think that that's a, I, that's actually, um, uh, that, that I got to check out that Dungeon Cramp video. I hadn't seen that one. I've seen a bunch of his, uh, I like his, um, well, he has, especially... he has a whole different approach and it's, it's pretty yeah, cool. We're not I just like saying it... that because we post a lot in the group and they let us. No, I like it too, because <laughs> he is, uh, um, I always talk about my evolving style. Like every game I run, I'm doing something different. I'm trying something out that I haven't tried before in a way of, of, running it or doing it right and he does that a lot he actually has a, a video he talks about the worst dungeon master ever and he tells this story about you know it was almost a larping session right and the guy was like a vampire great gatsby and all this and it turns out that he's telling the story of 
his idea and he was the DM and he was his own worst DM and he tells it as like a, you know, you just try shit out, right? But that sounds cool. <laughs> it funny. actually reminded me too, uh, Mike Shea at Sly Flourish um, recently, I think he's actually just released, uh, he wrote an article talking about theater of the mind combat in a similar way. Uh, I think he talked, he might've been talking about zones, but it was more about how to uh, round off things, you know, with area effects and stuff like that. So uh, that's a cool thing, too. I, as I said this whole damn time, have not done any theater of the mind combat. I will say that I absolutely am doing a ton of that description every single round, every single turn for the players and keeping that that thing I wasn't doing as much for a theory of the mind idea as much as just keeping the energy up and the immersion of it and the, oh, my God, this is happening right now. But I think that's exactly what it was, is the theater of the mind, because you're activating the player's imagination to go, oh, my God, they just got that arrow in the in the freaking gut. And now this guy's coming down on me. What am I doing? So, yeah, I would say listen to Tony and Thorin and do the things that they said to do. And uh, I, and I'll see. I uh one of these, one of the game I'll run, I'll probably, I'll probably try it at some point in my career and see what I like, and what I don't. But I, I would, I really want to see how you guys run it one of these times in the games, you know. Well, you bring up in you, one of the things that you mentioned there, as far as uh, the Sly Flourish article, was area effect spells. And I think that is another thing that's kind of uh, gets complicated in theater of the mind, and it comes back down to. You know, as the DM, when you're writing theater of the mind, it does help to have some distance notes on your on your side of the screen as far as, OK, this group of enemies is this far away. This group of enemies is that far away. Group them. You know, if you have like three or five, three, if you have like three to five bad guys, OK, they're each their own group. But if you have like 10, 15 bad guys out there, you're going to put them in groups, you know, have them work together as units. But I will tend to keep in mind how like how far they are and how close they are and how I describe them coming in. So, you know, if you've got a bunch of people coming in from one direction down a corridor, and I know they're like 60 feet away, and there's like two groups that are like 60 feet away, and it's like a valley or a corridor in that direction, one fireball will probably catch them both. You don't need to know exactly how far apart they are. You just got to have in your mind, how are they moving? If they're, on the other hand, if they're flanking the party, if one group's 60 feet in this direction, the other group's 60 feet in that direction, the party's kind of pinched between them, you know one fireball can't catch them both. I will generally say, unless they're specifically spread out, an area of effect spell usually catches a whole group, you know, cause you know, a, a unit usually moves pretty close to each other. Shield walls yeah. want to be yeah. side by side to work with each other. So when you're adjudicating sort of the fireballs, keep in mind what your players have and also what the NPCs have and maybe keep in mind, okay, who's within one fireball of each other. Like if they drop this area of effect spell, who all is that going to catch? How much of this is this going to catch? And probably it's one, one of your groupings or maybe two or three of your groupings if they're close together. But like you want to have that. Like you want to keep that in mind. Just like you're keeping the ranges in mind and whole numbers where you can say, okay, and these, these guys are about a round away. These guys are about two rounds away. Because that, that rounding factor in running theater of the mind really gets you past some of the hardest things as far as what you lose with having a minis map. Because with a map, you, you, everyone knows exactly where they are in theater of the mind. The DM has to track pretty much to send, you know, basically where people are and refresh their memory of it when it comes to their turn. I think that's, that's really how you run that. So Dave, you haven't done this before. I mean, what kind of questions come to mind? If you, what do you think you want to know about how to run theater of the mind? Um, to tell you the truth, uh, not too much other than I would like to see for me, I would like to see how it plays on the player side. And that's why I would want to play it because that's when I really get a sense. Cause it's great for us to talk about however we do these things, but 
you know, come play in our games. And then that's when you would decide if you dig it or not. Right. Um, depending on our styles. Right. So I would really want to play it to see. I, I feel like I could absolutely handle that. Like I said, especially a smaller party. I wouldn't like it with seven, eight players. That's that's unruly as it is. Um, so I would say anyone who's going to be starting it, don't start it with your party who's got like 12 people playing on Friday, <laughs> right? Like do it your four-person party. Or, you know, you're like the classic party, four or five people. But there's tons of resources out there uh, that are saying a lot of the same types of stuff that you guys were saying. I So yeah, I don't. I don't really have a like. I know what you're what you're asking me, and I don't really have a question specifically in that way. Uh, other than I would want to, I would want to play it to see if I dig it. Because if I didn't dig it as a player, then yeah. I wouldn't want to do it as a DM either. You know what I mean? Are you telling any other tips for theater of the mind? I've got one final piece of advice. DMs who are listening to this, uh, you've done a lot of work in your campaigns. You filled your world with interesting people, places, and things. And if you do not properly describe them or set the mood of your story, you are in danger of vastly underselling important aspects of your both your game and your campaigns. All right. So is that is that your final thought then, Tony, or do you? Uh, that is the final thought. Unfortunately, final, I don't have a final final thought. <laughs> I'll back I'll back that up if I can real quick, and I will say even if you're not, you know, theater of mind or battle mats or whatever, that still runs the same. Don't forget your descriptors. Don't forget that you are still narrating the action of this world because even a battle mat, it's it's just a board and toys on it. It, it not, doesn't come to life. The only thing that's going to make it come to life is uh, you helping to narrate that and then the players narrating that back to you. You know, So keep your descriptors up like Tony was saying, regardless of what you're doing with your, uh, with your maps or no maps. All right. Next. For me, you know, my final thought on, well, I gave a lot of thoughts on theater of the mind here. <laughs> I'm a big fan of it. I, th I think it works very well. And I really think fun, you know, fundamentally, you know, we talk a lot about DM prep and, and, and how much should you be working for a session and player prep. And there's, there's an active conversation out there between is the DM effectively responsible for entertaining everyone? Like, is it the DM's party, so to speak? Not the, the adventuring party, but the party party. Theater of the mind is a little easier to run if you don't necessarily feel that way. Like theater of the mind is how we used to run this when it was, Hey, we're hanging out, dude, run a game for us, dude, run a game for us. You know, you're not going to, and, and you're not digging up the maps at the same time. To me, that's always going to feel like what D and D really is. You know, that's my kind of D and D. And it's not so much that there's no prep involved because you can prep a lot. God knows I've prepped a lot for theater of the mind games, but it takes your preparation away from, oh, well, I got to assemble, I got to make the, I got to get the minis, I got to make the maps, I got to make sure I have, I have representations for everything. All, all that kind of, well, really like kind of the grunt work out of it. And you can focus on just what's happening and what is my story and what is their story and how are the players fitting into it and what are the NPCs doing. You can put a lot more work into that side of things. Whereas, you know, Tony, as you, as you say, right now, you're prepping a lot as far as finding basically props and maps to go with your games. I think you can have a great game without that kind of thing. I think you can really make it more conceptual and it, when it's working well, get more, you know, a, a more DM player rapport and kind of engagement with a theater of the mind type game than you necessarily do with a battle map game. Cause I gotta tell you, once the map hits the table, you're basically playing chess. <laughs> All right. That's it for me. This is a hot button issue for us. So we're going to, we're going to call it here tonight, guys. Thanks a lot. I had a good time with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And thank you all for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. If you haven't yet, please uh, follow us on any of the major podcast platforms. We release a new episode every week. And check out threewisedms.com. We will find a new article every week as well. We release the articles every Wednesday and the podcast every Sunday. If you like what you're listening to, please smash that five-star rating button in your podcast platform because that really helps us get the word out and helps people recognize what we're what we're doing here. And if you'd like to follow us more closely, you can uh, sign up at the uh, sign up on threewisedms.com to get an email whenever we post new content. Let us know how we're doing at threewisedms at gmail.com or you know drop us a line at Facebook and link and Twitter. <laughs> not like LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. We're not for hiring. That's a whole different kind of role playing. <laughs> drop us a line at Facebook and Twitter. We're very active on both sides. See you next time on Three Wise DMs.